Well, we're in this series um, in Revelation, the seven churches that Jesus wrote to, the seven churches of Asia Minor. And we've come to the church in Thyatira. And uh, if you could turn in your Bibles, please, to chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, and we'll read the uh, rest of the passage together. So please read along with me as I read this portion of God's Word. Remember, this is Jesus' Word to this church, and it is Jesus' words to our church today. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patience and endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works, and I will strike her children dead. I think it's talking about spiritual death. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, I say to you, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers, the overcomer, and who keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, what is Jesus saying to this church at Thyatira? I think he's saying, live a holy life. It's really not rocket science. It's it's really um, easy to understand. He's saying, live a holy life. The, The problem in this church was not a doctrinal problem. Their doctrine was spot on. The problem was not a theological problem. Their theology seemed to be sound. Their problem was not a unity problem. They loved one another. It wasn't a ministry problem. They were serving Jesus Christ faithfully. See, the problem in that church was a holiness problem. There were some in the church who were not living holy lives. When was the last time you heard a sermon on holiness? It's probably been a long time. But Jesus in this letter to this church addresses the subject of holiness head on. That's what he's talking about, a holy life. 
See, a holy life is indispensable for the Christian. It is an indispensable mark of the Christian life. And I'm going to read a few verses that just spell that out very clearly. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you before him and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Do you see that? God hasn't called us to live an impure life, but to live a holy life. A lot of people want to know, what's the will of God? Well, here it is. <laughs> if you want to know what the will of God is, God says, abstain from sexual immorality. Live a holy life, a life of purity. That's what God desires from you and me. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What's God's will? For us to be holy and blameless before him. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and following. And we, know that although, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is the will of God? That we be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God, that is really Jesus, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. What is God's will for us? To live godly lives in this present age. In the life in which we live today. And then Titus chapter 2 verse 14. Just skip down a little bit. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who were zealous for good works. And then 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 and following. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, the way you used to live before you came to Christ. But as he who called you to be holy, you also be holy in all conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that's a quote from the Old Testament. So what is the will of God? For us to be holy. Now see, God's purpose is to make us holy to conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, Satan's purpose is to keep that from happening. <laughs> Satan doesn't want that to happen. Satan's purpose is to corrupt us with sin. 
And that, of course, is what Satan was doing in Thyatira. He was using this false prophet uh, that he calls Jezebel to do that, to corrupt them. Now, Jesus calls her Jezebel. Uh, Most likely, that was not her real name. Jesus calls her Jezebel because she was so much like the Jezebel in the Old Testament. Remember Jezebel? What a wicked woman was Jezebel. She was the daughter of the pagan king of Tyre. She became queen when she married King Ahab, who was king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jezebel led her husband and the entire nation of Israel into idolatry by worshiping Baal and other false gods. On top of that, she was a murderer. She killed God's prophets. She had her neighbor, a good man, Naboth, killed simply because her husband wanted his vineyard and he was not willing to give it up. (laughs) She tried to kill the prophet uh, Elijah after he defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. She was a ruthless, immoral, evil, murderous woman. So Jesus gives this false teacher in Thyatira her name because she was a Jezebel from top to bottom. This Jezebel calls herself a prophetess, not Jesus. No, she's a false prophet. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess, just like we have self-proclaimed preachers and and pastors. We have uh, man-called preachers. We have church-called preachers. We have mama-called preachers, daddy-called preachers, instead of God-called preachers. And she was teaching that it's okay for Christians to indulge in sexual immorality and idolatry under certain circumstances. And we'll get into those circumstances in just a little bit. Satan was using her to corrupt the church. And the church, instead of dealing with this, this false teacher, they were tolerating her, and they refused to remove her from the church fellowship. You know, you can't live for Jesus and tolerate evil. You just can't do it. Jesus calls us to live a holy life. But sin, evil, wickedness will keep that from happening. I'm sure you've heard it said, and I think it's a quote from Ravi Zacharias. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And how true that is. I'll say, Satan wants us to believe that sin will satisfy us, that sin will fulfill us, that sin will make us happy, but it does the very opposite. Now, the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin, but only for a season, only for a short time. Don't you see, Satan is a liar. We must not fall for Satan's lies. A holy life. A life lived for Jesus is what really satisfies. That's what brings fulfillment in life. Now, in Jesus' letter here, we see the marks of a holy life. We see the marks that lead to a holy life. And I want us to look at uh, four of these marks. Marks of a holy life. In other words, if you're living a holy life, these will be true in your life and in my life. The first mark is the fear of God. The fear of God. A holy life fears God. 
I want you to notice how Jesus describes himself here. He describes himself as the Son of God. Now, the Romans and the people the lost in Thyatira, they worshiped the pagan god Apollo, the son of the uh, god Zeus. But Jesus, notice, Jesus is the true Son of God who is worthy of worship, not the son of a lifeless false god, a lifeless idol. He also describes himself as the one who has eyes like a flaming fire. Eyes like a flaming fire. In other words, Jesus is the omniscient God, all-knowing God. Nothing escapes his penetrating gaze. He sees right to the heart. He sees everything about you and me. Nothing escapes his sight. We can't hide anything from him, so we need not try. Just think about your deep secrets. Jesus knows all about it. Knows all about it. I love what Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give an account. See, your life and my life is an open window to the watchful eyes of Jesus Christ. An open window. He sees everything, and one day, each of us, we will give an account to him. We will give an account to him, either at the judgment seat of Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, or at the great white throne judgment, if you don't know him. One day, every person is going to give an account to him. And then he's described as whose feet are like burnished bronze. Burnished bronze. This refers to Jesus' strength and judgment. In other words, Jesus is able to trample under his foot and punish all wrong and sin. And he will do that. Jesus is going to punish all the wrong that we see going on in our world today. Make no mistake about it. He will judge. And his judgment will be complete and full and final. What is Jesus doing here by describing himself as the Son of God? who has eyes like a flaming fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I believe he's showing the church that they need to have a healthy fear of God in their lives, that they need to fear God. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God is not to cower or to cringe and fear before God. That's not really what it means. To fear God is to have and awe and respect for the majesty of God, that he has all authority, that he sees and knows all, and that we will give an account to him for our lives. You know, when our children were coming along, growing up, we didn't want our, church, we didn't want our children to be afraid of us. <laughs> we didn't want them to walk up to us and just cower and cringe and fear when they come into our presence. I, I've seen parents like that. But that's not, what, that's not what we want. We don't want them to crown, uh, crouch in fear of us. We wanted them to respect us as their parents, to respect us. And, and that's the way it is with God. To fear God means to live in awe and reverence and respect for him. 
And the fear of God leads to a holy life. I heard this story. Well, I heard that in person. A friend of mine uh, told me that, you know, um, his parents tried to instill upon him the fear of God. And he said, you know, um, wherever he went, you know, if, if he went to a movie that he shouldn't have been going to, if, if he was at some social that he shouldn't have been, if he was involved in anything, he said he felt the awesome presence of God in that place. And he said oftentimes he would just leave and just walk out of that picture show. He would walk out of that party because he really felt the presence of God, that God was watching, that God was seeing everything that he was doing. You see, the fear of God leads to a holy life. But there's a second mark here, a second mark of a holy life, and that is spiritual growth. Don't see, a holy life is growing spiritually, going somewhere spiritually, getting closer to Jesus, falling deeper in love with Him. Now, there were some good things going on in this church, and Jesus commends them for it. Isn't that just like Jesus, he will correct us when we're wrong, but he encourages us. When we please him, when we glorify him, he encourages us. So he has some encouraging words for this church. He says in verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patience, endurance, and that your latter work, notice that your latter works exceed the first. Now, some in Thyatira were bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And he mentions these qualities, these virtues. He mentions love and service. You know, that they go hand in hand, love and service. Love leads to service. I mean, if you really love Jesus, if you, if you fall in love with Jesus, you will serve him and your people. The church won't have to beg you to serve him. You will want to. You can't help it. It will be the desire of your heart. You'll find a place to serve him in this church if you really love Jesus. Don't say service is a sign that you love Jesus. And then the two virtues, faith and patience, endurance, they go hand in hand. Because faith leads to patience, endurance. It, it leads to perseverance. If you have faith in God, if you really trust him, you will be able to endure through the hard times of life because you know that God is in control, that He is sovereign, and that He is working everything together for your good and for His glory. See, faith leads to patient endurance. You will not want to quit when the going gets tough. Now, many in the church were growing spiritually, and Jesus noticed that about them. He points that out. And he says in verse 19 again, your latter works exceed the first. In other words, they were not stagnant in their Christian growth like so many Christians are. They get saved and they just stay there. And they're really no, not much difference 50 years from then. You know? But these Christians were not stagnant in their Christian growth. They were growing stronger every day. He says, your latter works exceed the first. Well, how about you? How would you measure your spiritual growth from 1 to 10? You know, how would you measure your spiritual growth? 
Are you more like Jesus today than you were last year? Do you love him more than you did last year? Are you making progress in your spiritual life? See, if you're no more like Jesus today than you were when you were first saved, there's a real problem in, in your spiritual life, and you need to examine yourself. Now, often our Christian life can be described as three steps forward and two steps backwards. But we're still making progress. You know, I, I want us to understand that we aren't perfect and, and, you know, there's going to be ups and downs in the Christian life. But the important thing is that we're moving forward. The important thing is we, we're growing more and more like Jesus. The important thing is that, that we're more holy today than we were yesterday. See, a mark of, the, of a holy life is spiritual growth. So you need to ask yourself, are you growing spiritually? And then the third mark of holiness is intolerance of sin. Intolerance of sin. A holy life is intolerant of sin. Now see, the big problem in the church at Thyatira is they were tolerating sin. They, they were putting up with this evil woman. They were tolerating this false prophetess that Satan was using to corrupt the church. They were tolerating it, and they were doing absolutely nothing about it. That's what he says in verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. I'm not, but she calls herself one. And is teaching and seducing my servants my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food uh, sacrificed to idols. Well, see, she claimed to have the truth, but she was peddling a lie. (laughs) She She claimed that she was teaching God's word, but she was teaching a lie. She was teaching that it's okay to indulge in sexual sin. And Jesus, down in verse 24, calls her teaching the deep things of Satan. See, when you go against this book, it's the deep things of Satan. When you teach things contrary to this book, it's the deep things of Satan. And that's what she was doing. Now, a little background might be helpful to understand what she was teaching. Well, see, the city of Thyatira centered around trade guilds, or we would call them uh, trade unions today, I guess. Trade guilds were very important in the city. For a person to own a business or to run a business or to earn a living, membership in these guilds were almost absolutely necessary if you're going to be successful. Now, that presented a huge problem for the Christians there in that city because membership in a guild required participation in these guild feasts, which included idol worship, worshiping false gods, and also immorality. Christians who refused to participate in these pagan feasts faced the anger of the community and found it impossible to find a job or to run a business and support their own family. Now, this is where old Jezebel comes into the picture. 
Well, see, she was teaching in the church. She was teaching the church folk that there was nothing wrong with Christians taking part in these guild feasts. She would say something like, uh, God understands. God knows that you've got to have a job. God knows you've got to earn a living. You know, God will just overlook this because he knows that under the circumstances, this is something you've got to do. Jezebel was teaching that if your work life collide with your Christian values, then your Christian values have to go. If your work life collide with your Christian values, then your Christian values have to go. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Christians who say, well, I have to go to the company drinking parties, and I know a lot of nasty stuff goes on there, but the boss won't like it. I, I have to provide the liquor for the Christmas party, and, or I might just lose my job. Well, maybe it's not a bad idea. Maybe you have the wrong job if that's what's required of you. Maybe you aren't where God wants you if that's what's required of you. You know, today we're seeing churches compromising their moral standards, accepting this new morality to gain the approval of the world. What about God's approval? What about what Jesus says in this book? The new morality... It's just the same old immorality. That's all it is. I also want you to notice from the text that sexual immorality is linked with idolatry. See, whatever you're living for, whatever is the most important thing in your life becomes your God. If you live for sexual pleasure, then that becomes your God. If you live for wealth and riches, that becomes your God. If you live for power and fame and recognition, that becomes your God. And see, many in the church had allowed this false prophetess to corrupt them by compromising with the evil culture around them. And see, God's calling us to follow Jesus, not to follow the world. And see, we're not to love the world nor the things in the world. That's what God says. A, a church that looks and acts like the world is not a holy church. A holy church does not tolerate sin, does not compromise with its evil culture. If you're living a holy life, neither will you. Well, there's a fourth mark. <laughs> Of a holy life. And that is a repentant heart. A repentant heart. A holy life has a repentant heart. You know, I think the church has done a terrible job communicating that to to its people. I really do. Because so often we think of repentance as something that you do when you get saved. And that's it. You just leave repentance alone. No. Repentance is an ongoing thing. Repentance is just as important for you today than it was when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Well, see, repentance is to be a continual action, a, a continual behavior for the Christian. And Jesus says in verse 21, he says, I gave her, that is Jezebel, time to repent, but she refused to repent of her sexual immorality. I gave her time to do it. No telling how long. But Jezebel said no. 
What does repentance mean? Repentance is to change your mind that results in a changed behavior. It is to change your mind about who you are, who Jesus is, what sin is, and that will change your behavior, your action. Now, Jezebel refused to repent, which tells us she was not a true believer. She was lost. She was not a saved woman. She, she was not a backslidden Christian. No, she was a lost woman. God is a patient God. He's long-suffering, giving people time and opportunity to repent. And, and certainly this is true today. God is giving people opportunity to repent. He, he has delayed his coming, giving people time to repent. And I personally believe that this pandemic is God's opportunity to get people to repent. I honestly believe that with all my heart. I believe natural disasters, no matter what they are. You know, what they are, it's a slap in the face that says, wake up. Wake up, turn from your sin while there's still time. But Jesus says that she was unwilling to repent like so many today. You know, God's judgment is described in a very graphic way. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff, what's going to happen to this false teacher and those who followed her in her idolatry and her immorality. Behold, verse 22 and 23, behold. Man, that, that's a word of judgment. That's like a loss in the Old Testament or a woe in the Old Testament. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed And those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. That's the extent. If they repent, I won't do it. I will strike her children dead, spiritually dead. I think that's hell. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to their works. You know, Hebrews 10, 31 says, it is a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. Just look at that verse. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of, a living, of the living God. See, those who belong to Jesus will repent of their sins. Those that don't belong to him will not. You know, that's how we tell the difference between those who belong to God and those who don't belong to God. The mark of a holy life is repentance, a repentant heart. As Christians, we sin every day. We constantly fall short of the glory of God, God's righteousness. We are in constant need of repentance. And when the Holy Spirit brings to mind some sin, at that very moment, we need to repent and turn away from that sin. At that very moment. I know this, the church would be a much holier place if the people in the church repented of their sin. We need to pray for God to give us a heart of repentance. A heart of repentance. You know, sometimes we need to be confronted with our sin. You know, um, sometimes we need another Christian to speak love into our life and say, what you're doing isn't right. That's true love. 
See, if you do that in love, then that's the best thing you can do for your brother and sister in Christ. Sometimes we need other Christians who are walking with God to speak into our life and love and say, what you are doing is not right. Now, how do you respond when that happens to you? Do you get angry? Do you get defensive? Or do you humbly listen and repent? Well, see, Jezebel and her followers refused to repent, proving they didn't belong to God's people in the first place. And Jesus says he's going to bring his judgment to a bear on them. And as a result, verse 23, look at verse 23 again. All the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. Everybody will know. I'm going to judge her and those who follow her. Lastly, on a positive note, Jesus addresses those in the church who have not indulged in sin with Jezebel. He says, to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. He says, the only burden I want to lay on you is to get rid of this woman. Only hold fast what, I, what you have until I come. Jesus says, hold fast. Hold fast until I come. Well, hold fast on what? Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the word of God. Live it out day by day, every day. See, they must deal with this Jezebel and exclude her from the church. Her teaching is satanic and it must go. Oh, we learned so many truths from Jesus' letter. See, a holy church isn't afraid to call sin what it is. A holy church isn't afraid to call sin by its proper name. A Christian who is living a holy life isn't afraid to call sin what it is. Yeah, we have so many churches that just overlook it. And refuse to believe what God says in his word. Now Jesus makes two astonishing promises to those who are faithful to Christ. Two great promises. And, and these are, if you know Christ, these are your promises and my promises. Number one, we will rule with Christ. He says that in verses 24 through 27. He says, the one who conquers, who keeps my works unto the end... To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Imagine, imagine, we will rule with Christ during his millennial kingdom. I think that's what's in view here. Now, what that rule will consist of, then I'm not sure, but it's going to happen. In other words, we will all have responsibilities as believers in his kingdom. And of course, those responsibilities might be according to how we've lived for him down here. But if we hope to rule with Christ in the future, we must be faithful to him in the present. And then the second, the second promise, Jesus will give us the morning star. Boy, look at verses 28 and 29 and to he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and I will give him the morning star. What is this morning star? It's Jesus. 
In other words, Jesus describes himself in chapter 22, verse 16, as the bright and morning star. So he's talking about himself. And what he is saying, we get the morning star. You know, this is a promise of the rapture of the church. When Jesus Christ will appear for his own and take us to heaven to live with him forever. And the Bible calls this the blessed hope. And my friend, this blessed hope leads to a holy life. I want to read another verse. It's not, it's not going to be up on the screen, but listen to this. Listen to what John says. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And I want you to see that a holy life leads to a pure life. A pure life. A blessed hope leads to a pure life. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And notice what He says. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. You know what John is saying? Listen, if you have this blessed hope, if you're looking for Jesus, and if you're living out your life in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ and brings Him honor, and if you're living a pure and a holy life, (laughs) when Jesus comes, you will not be ashamed. You see, the blessed hope leads to a pure life, a holy life. You know, before the sermon, we we sang about that, didn't we? We sang, oh God, I desire to live a holy life. I desire to live this kind of life. Is that your desire? Is that what you desire more than anything else, to please Him, to glorify Him? And see, the key... To a holy life. Are these marks that we have seen together. These marks of the fear of God. The mark of spiritual growth. Are you growing spiritually? Intolerance of sin. Are you turning away from sin? Do you have a repentant heart? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, I pray that as we pause just for a moment, Lord, that we would um, examine our own heart and just ask ourselves, do we see these marks in us? Do we see these traits in our lives? Do we have the marks of a holy life? Do we really fear God? Do we live with an awesome presence that God sees everything about us? Do we live in reverence of Him? Do we have that fear of God in us? 
Lord, your word tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Lord, I just pray that you will just bring it to fruition in our lives. My friend, as we bow in prayer, are there things you need to repent of? Are there things that you need to forsake in order to live a holy life? Why don't you do it now? How's your, how's your spiritual growth going? Are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? Are you making progress? Why don't you commit yourself to grow more this year and the next more than ever? Do you have a repentant heart? When God reveals sin in your life, do you turn away from it? When you're confronted with sin, maybe by a brother or sister in Christ, do you humbly listen and repent? Lord, we know it's your purpose to make us holy, and I pray that we would, that we would so cooperate with your Holy Spirit that our Christian life will be all that you want it to be. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.